Well, we have bunnies and we have eggs and we have flowers in our hat because spring has sprung and it's Easter. But hold it a second, we're on the Southern Hemisphere. It's always backwards down under. You know, we have Christmas with snow and sleighs and it's stinking hot. We have Easter with images of flowers and spring and bunnies and we're heading into winter. It's a bit of a pity to be living down under at Easter time because actually Easter really does fit the start of spring. Easter Sunday comes after the winter, the darkness and the despair of Good Friday. And it is such a massive contrast between these two days. I wonder if you've ever thought about that first Easter and how the disciples celebrated that very first Easter. Lots of bunnies and flowers and eggs. Well, you see, these guys had heard Jesus call them and they chose to follow everything, giving up almost everything. They, if you like, saw the light And following Jesus for them, well, that was Easter Sunday. It was a wonderful thing. And they followed him everywhere he went. Even on his, what they thought was a foolish trip, don't go back to Jerusalem, they follow him into Jerusalem. They submit to him. And when they get to Jerusalem, oh my goodness me, look at this, this is amazing. Everybody's welcoming, welcoming, welcoming him. It was a long night. Big wedding last night, I'm tired. <laughs> Welcoming him like he's the greatest king ever. They're throwing palm branches before him. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the son of David. Here comes our king. Oh, oh the glory. And they're starting to think, you know, following Jesus, I'm going to be minister of education maybe. We're on a winner. And they're just full. I can imagine going into Jerusalem that Sunday. They've been following him for three years. But we're on a winner, guys. This is going to be great. And within a week, it all comes crumbling down. You see, in Jerusalem, it's not as even if there's a few battles and a few squibbles. In Jerusalem, there is complete decimation. Jesus is betrayed by one of their own. By Judas, he is ill-treated, he is falsely tried, it's completely unjust. He is humiliated and abused. He is flogged to an inch of his life. They watch their rabbi, their master, their hero, wearing that crown of thorns, carrying a cross, dripping with blood which is caking, to Golgotha, to the place of execution. And there they watch as he is nailed to a cross and raised up high and crucified. They see him hanging in agony and shame. And the enemies won. It's a complete defeat. 
All for nothing we follow Jesus. And we watch him breathe his last and his head hangs limp. And darkness surrounds them. It encroaches in on them. It saps everything. And Jesus' body is taken down. It's limp, it's bloody, but it's starting to stiffen up. And they wrap him up and get him into the tomb, a rich man's tomb, as soon as they can. He is stone cold dead. They roll a stone across the stone cold dead man's tomb. Imagine the disciples, where do we go now? (laughs) There's nowhere to go. It's over. It's just darkness. You imagine their first Easter, why don't we put on a hat with some flowers and have a parade? Or maybe I'll give you some chocolate eggs. Or we'll look at pictures of bunnies. And eat fruit-filled buns. See, Easter, for the whole part, Friday, Saturday, is darkness, despair, and death. It's empty. It is winter. A heavy, cold, dark winter. There are many things in life that can cause you to be humbled. You can fall over in front of your friends. That's embarrassing. You can lose a race that you thought you were going to win or fail an exam that you should have passed. But of all human experiences, there is no more humbling experience than death. Death which is deflating and sapping and empty. Death which is the ultimate leveler, all, all equally we're all equally abased. doesn't matter how wealthy or powerful you are. The same liturgy is used. From dust you came into dust you shall return. Earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You are dust. And ironically, in our death, well that is the great conqueror of all of our pride and arrogance, Mr. Pride dies and he can't be proud in death it's all pervading death also humbles us bit by bit every person we lose every funeral chips away it says you're not a god you think you are but you are not a god you are not in control you will not live forever indeed one day you will pass the same way no, 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 that won't happen to me, that won't happen to me, but our, death, our pride takes a blow because we know it's true. The grim reaper has the last laugh. Tell me, who can laugh louder? Who can laugh longer than the grim reaper? Ha, 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 got you. I win. And Jesus dies on the cross on that first Easter. And the grim reaper goes, Ha ha! Got 
even you. I win. Death is so proud, so arrogant, so strong and powerful. And what can we do in the face of it except be humbled before this proud monster? Death is proud. But the one thing that death and its champion, Satan, do not reckon with is the life-giving power of God and His promises and His purposes. You see, when Jesus dies, when the Son of God the horror of the idea, the incredulity and seeming tragedy of it, when Jesus dies, his death collides head on with the promises, purposes and power of God. Because the God of the Bible is consistently on the side of the lowly, the contrite, Psalm 18, verse 7. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. There's this consistent theme where the humble are exalted and the haughty or the exalted are brought low. They are humbled. Psalm 149, 4. The Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Isaiah 57, 15. This is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, who dwells, whose name is holy. He says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That's the sort of God I am. High and holy, the God who lifts up. This is the promise of God. There is this chapter in the Bible, and if you've been a Christian for years, you'll know about it, Isaiah 53, where we meet the servant of the Lord who will come and serve the people of God. We're told that this servant will take up our pain. He will bear our suffering. That he will actually be crushed for our iniquities. He'll be pierced for our transgressions. He will be like a lamb led to the slaughter to be punished for the transgression of his people. He will be assigned a grave with the wicked and the rich in his death. Though he be completely innocent, this servant will be humbled. This servant will die and be wounded and suffer for his people. He will go to the very lowest place. But in that very same chapter, we read this. At the end of the chapter, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord make his life an offering for sin, 
Yet he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will make many righteous, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion amongst the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured his life out unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. See, the righteous servant will go down to serve and to save his people. But God will exalt him. He will prolong his days. He will see the light of life. He will have all the spoils of victory. That is the promise of God. The God of the Bible, and there are so many places where you could go to see this same pattern. Jesus said three times in three different occasions, so he probably said it even more and they just weren't recorded. So on three different occasions he said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus' disciple Peter and then his probably brother James said the same thing in their writings. They said, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Jesus humbled himself. He went to the cross as a suffering servant. He submitted to his Father's will even to the point of death. And in so doing, he unleashed a power greater than death. A power that would defeat even death itself, that dreadful monster. Jesus humbled himself to win the victory. And this great, what we believe is an early Christian hymn that I've been referring to again and again this year. I'm going there again, Philippians chapter 2. The story, what our memory verses preceded, be humble like Jesus who gave himself completely being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He went down, 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 down. What happens when you go down, down, down in service? What's the promise? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is the promise and the power. This is Easter where the promises and the power and the purposes of God do not allow us to stay in abject despair in winter beside the tomb. We must leave Friday and press on to Sunday because God's character demands it. God's promises demand it and ensure it. 
in the darkness when all seems lost, even when face to face with that haughty, triumphalistic arrogance of death, do not discount the God who exalts the humble. He raised, as he said he would raise, his humble son to the very highest place. He's given him the name above every name. And one day we will all bow before this humble Lord. And so today we proclaim with loud conviction on this bright and beautiful Sunday morning, there is victory. The stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. The grave clothes, they're sitting over there, they were folded and put away. Death has been defeated. Jesus is alive. He has risen to reign. Hallelujah. Praise his name. It's Easter Sunday. It's gospel. It's good news. And Jesus' story of triumph through humility can and should and must be our story. It's not going to be our story. There is no resurrection. There is no escaping death and conquering death without the promised power and purposes of God, without his strength and goodness. We cannot do it ourselves. We need to remember that God exalts the humble. God exalts those who will come and humble themselves before Jesus and say, you are Lord. I will trust in you. I will believe and unite myself to you. One day, unless the Lord Jesus returns, we will all pass into the ground. To be no more? Do not forget Easter Sunday. Do not forget Easter Sunday. In 1 Corinthians 15, in the reading Johnny read, Paul is writing about the absolute essential nature of Jesus' resurrection. He says it's real. For goodness sakes, I met him. And there's hundreds of others who met him. And all the, all the apostles, we've seen him. It's real. And it's absolutely the center of the gospel that I preach. It's inseparable. Jesus is risen. He's alive. And it's essential because it is our hope for resurrection. It is our hope for life eternal. I don't know if you've ever done, bought a packet of seeds. I have bought seeds at times. Every now and then I'll get inspired um, and think that I'll be a gardener. And I'll, being a cheapskate, why go to the nursery when I can buy a packet of seeds? And if you ever looked at them, you get a packet about this big and then you open them up and inside there's a packet about this big. And then you open up that, it's, 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 hardly anything there. I spent $10 on this. And then you take those seeds and you do all your preparation, which I never do well, and you put them in the ground, and it, this, just, this, is, this is a joke. This is not going to work. I don't know if you've ever done that, if you've ever had that feeling. Like it's just so pathetic. Bit of water. I have done this a few times, it has never failed. It's a miracle. 
come back a week or two later, or whatever it takes, and there's, oh, that's worked. Every time I'm amazed, it actually worked. Because that's the way it's been designed to work. Paul speaks in this passage about us being like seeds. It feels like nothing's going to happen. But every gardener knows better, experienced gardeners. The seed seems to die, but it is not death, it's transformation into a greater realisation of what it was always meant to be. Paul writes here in verse 42, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonour. As it is when you go to a funeral, it's, it's hard. But it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, isn't it? What? But it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. We shall be changed, Paul goes on to say. We shall be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. And we will receive a resurrection body like that of the Lord Jesus. Imperishable. Paul goes on. He says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that has been written will come true, that is death has been swallowed up in victory. The great monster. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death, that arrogant interloper who stomps all over us. It seems all of our lives and finally wants to stomp us into the ground. Doing whatever it wants, when it wants. Death shall die. Death will be abased. The proud will be humbled and brought low. And we who have been humbled, we who have humbled ourselves before the risen Lord Jesus, we shall be exalted. Easter. In Jesus Christ, death loses all of its boast. It is stripped of its power. Great poem I learned at school, high school. Written by John Donne, who's a 16th century, 17th century poet. He was a, was a naughty, naughty, very naughty boy in simple terms. And then he met Jesus and he ended up becoming an Anglican minister and quite involved in politics. Great poet. Great, great poet. I'd like to share with you one of his poems. I think I've shared this before. Some of you aren't going to follow this, right? I know that poetry is not your thing, but it's so good I've got to share it with you. And hopefully some of you will be able to hang in there. And if you, I think you'll at least get the vibe. So Death Be Not Proud by John Donne. Death, 
be not proud. Though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkst thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death. Nor yet canst thou kill me. For rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be, it looks like you're dead when you're resting and sleeping. For rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be, oh, much pleasure. For then from thee much more must flow. And soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls delivery. Thou art slave to fate. Chance, kings and desperate men, you're not in control, death. And thou dost with poison, war and sickness dwell. And poppies, like opiates, and charms can make us sleep as well as you do. And better than thy stroke, why swelts thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die, says a man who trusts in Jesus. Says a man who knows the power of Easter Sunday. This is the promise and hope of Easter. Life springs forth from the ground. The seed planted in humility grows to rich glory. When we go down, God raises us up. Have a humble Easter, everybody. And remember the power of the resurrection and trust in Jesus, I pray. Amen.